Chapter 8 An Unexpected Kindness the Mercedes reached what had again become a former capital and approached Prague Castle. From his window, Herman gaped at the massive structure, which is more than a thousand years old and dominates the skyline. It's a fairy tale that's come alive. Closer they got to it in the early afternoon sun, and Herman could hear his father describe it in perfect detail the palaces and churches and towers rising from everywhere. He could recall, too, his youthful daydreams about it. This helped him forget his present situation, as well as something he'd spent months trying to forget. Even after the castle left his view, Herman was still able to forget. This was because, like the old-town neighborhood he had walked through on his first day in the city, the Rajani streets he found himself on now were a snapshot of a lost time, which not even the Nazis could corrupt. The district impressed him even more than Old Town had on his first day there. I think this was because he thought he'd never see it again. But this lasted only until the car parked in front of a block-long Baroque building on Loretta Square called Chernin Palace. Before the occupation, this building had housed the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, but now it was the headquarters of the SS. With a bit of a sigh, Herman turned to Klaus and noticed that he wasn't making the slightest effort to leave the car. He looked, too, as if he were somewhere else. Are we waiting for something? Herman asked. Klaus didn't respond. It didn't even seem as if he heard the question. So Herman asked it again. As you probably can guess, Klaus muttered, while looking away and without expressing any emotion, this affair has been embarrassing to us for many reasons. No one outside of a handful of SS officers knows about it. And you want me to keep it that way, Herman affirmed with a pair of nods. Klaus didn't answer. But this was all the answer Herman needed. It confirmed everything he believed about his task and what would be the outcome of it. And a grin came across his face, which stayed there as the two passed the SS guards standing outside the palace and stepped through the entrance of the building, where they found themselves in a marble hallway, not far from an immense statue of Hercules battling the Hydra. Herman stopped in front of this, and he gazed at it in awe. Is there a reason why you've stopped? Klaus softly grumbled from beside him. Herman didn't answer, as something had grabbed his attention. A large and heavy-set SS colonel. This man was nearly sixty, and marching toward them from the staircase, alongside a small and gaunt captain who was less than half his age and smiling smugly. With obvious reluctance, the colonel came to a stop in front of Herman and Klaus, along with his companion, and Klaus saluted the colonel with a reverence that Herman noticed was decidedly forced. The colonel acknowledged this with a bit of a nod before turning toward Herman and sneering. Herman didn't know why he was sneering, but it probably had something to do with him finding Herman a living caricature of everything he hated. 
He lightly took Herman's presence there as a personal affront. Herman didn't acknowledge the sneer or the man behind it in any way, but he did recognize what the colonel was about at once, having known other such officers in the previous war. He saw in him someone who could see everyone else's flaws but was blind to his own, and knew that this trait alone did more to help the Central Powers lose the First World War than anything the enemy had done. So, the colonel growled with the type of deep baritone voice Herman expected him to have, this is the miracle Jew who's going to save us from that terrible killer. Neither Klaus nor Herman said anything in reply, and the colonel turned to Klaus and added, he doesn't look like much to me. Klaus matter-of-factly replied, but that didn't stop the Austrians from giving him the Order of the Iron Crown for his actions at Verdun. These words caused Hermann to glance away, while again feeling overwhelmed by the sounds of battle and all they had evoked. Even decades after the war, its mentioning still affected him and always would. His military service was one of the few aspects of his life that he would never discuss with me apart from peripherally, such as when he described this encounter, and even then I had to piece together lots of information. This period of his life so troubled him that all it would take was the reading of a newspaper article about the war or the glancing at a war movie for him to later experience such terrible nightmares that he would wake me with his screaming. On one such occasion, not long after my grandmother died, this got so bad that I rushed into his room and found him hiding under the bed in tears. The Emperor pinned the medal on him himself, Klaus went on, after he single-handedly saved a dozen wounded men from a French assault while wounded himself. The Austrian army wasn't at Verdun, the colonel snarled. Four infantry divisions joined the battle under German command at the end of it, Klaus countered. Yes, and they were all worthless, the colonel insisted. Not all of them, Klaus insisted back. Still, the colonel added with a grimace, consider me skeptical. We'll know soon enough if your skepticism is warranted, Herr Colonel, Klaus told him. Captain Kleiner, the colonel uttered while eyeing the man next to him, he believes he can solve this crime in short order, and I'm inclined to believe him. It's simply a matter of being persuasive enough with the local riffraff, the small and gaunt man interjected, and I can be quite persuasive. Yes, Klaus noted. It's remarkable how you've persuaded every commanding officer to keep you out of harm's way. This remark wiped both the smugness and the smile from Kleiner's face, and he was just about to reply to it when a commotion down the hall interrupted him. They all turned toward this and saw a frightened and unshaved man running to the exits, who looked as if he hadn't slept in weeks. Stop him, came a voice from somewhere unseen. Calmly, Klaus whipped out his pistol, and just as calmly he shot the man in the leg as he reached the doors, causing him to collapse. While trying to project Klaus's calm, the colonel stared at the man writhing on the floor and mumbled, 
Captain Stamm has earned the right to conduct this investigation as he sees fit. He then spun toward Klaus and snapped, But I'll be keeping a close eye on both you and the Jew. Klaus responded by clicking his heels and saluting the colonel. At ease, the man barked before marching through Klaus and Hermann as if he were smashing through a wall. He was followed by Captain Kleiner, who again was smiling smugly as the two swiftly left the building. That was Colonel Riedel, Klaus whispered to Hermann. He wasn't exactly enamored with the idea of bringing you in on this case. So how did you get him to agree to it, Hermann whispered back while gazing at the man who'd been shot, even though this was far from the first time he had seen something like this in recent years, it still unnerved him. It especially unnerved him that Klaus wasn't unnerved by it at all. It also made him realize that Klaus could shoot him just as easily. He agreed to this for the same reason I did, Klaus explained. The lack of any viable alternatives but you'd best be as invisible to him as possible. Herman nodded and they continued on. They themselves entered the staircase, with Herman staring at the painting on the ceiling as they rose to the second floor, where they made their way into the north wing of the building and came upon a reception area. By a desk there sat a woman in her late twenties who was wearing a dark blue dress and had long light brown hair and similarly colored doe-like eyes. Recognizing Herman, she jumped to her feet in shock before rushing up to him while crying out, Herr Weiss! With great affection, the two embraced, and Herman murmured, Marta. In the years prior to the occupation, Marta Vakoshkova had been Herman's partner in crime-fighting, as he would always call her. Even though she was much younger than him, largely uneducated, and officially only his personal assistant, whose primary responsibility was to translate for him when his check proved inadequate, I could only think of them as equals by hearing the way he described her. What have those animals done to you, she stammered while shaking a bit. I'm fine, he insisted before they reluctantly released their arms from each other with Herman noticing that Klaus had taken a few steps from them and was looking away. I was so sorry to hear about Anna, Marta murmured with her eyes lowered. She was very kind to me. Herman didn't know how to reply to this, so he just smiled meekly and uttered, They've got you working here too. Yes, she uttered back after raising her eyes. They didn't even tell me why or for whom. They just told me to report here this morning. I had no idea I'd be working for you again, or that you were even... They probably wanted to bring back as many of my old cohorts as possible, he told her. There are not too many of us left, she told him back. Herman nodded, and the two ran out of things to say. You, she eventually mumbled, you must be starving. I mean... It's all right, Marta, he insisted with a forced grin. Really? I could get you a couple of utopenses, she blurted out, before pointing to a window and the view across the square and mentioning, Uchernehovola makes them much the way you like, 
with plenty of onions. That would be terrific, he spoke with a smile that reflected all the warmth of her sentiment. He also found himself holding back tears from what he would only later recognize as the beautiful unexpectedness of her kindness. Still, through all this, he was able to utter, and perhaps you could also get me some... Some Velko Popovitsky, she interrupted, as she lifted a flower vase on the table beside her and removed its dying flowers. Chazane, she added, just as you like it. You can still read my mind, he remarked with yet another smile. This one expressed all the things he couldn't put into words. She smiled as well and started backing up with the vase while telling him, I won't be but a minute. Suddenly she turned around and sprinted off. Oh, Marta, he called out. Perhaps you can make it. Three utopens, as she shouted, after stopping and spinning back toward him with three fingers held in the air. Again he smiled. This time he smiled not only at her and everything that made her so wonderful, but also at how such wonderfulness could still mean something to him. Just as importantly, he found himself for the first time in years anticipating something positive.